Walter Nash Rishrahado de Coral et Mars, Igor Le Airgrid, Bemesi Le Dine Kailul, on Common Lu Class Gale, Agastar Suligum, Gumanishiv Tanivas. I remember saying to him, this is some trip, Sean Murray. This is unbelievable. <laughs> he says, it's not a trip, Muggsy, it's, it's a tour. And I was like, no, but you know what I mean? He says, no, I don't. This season, the show is brought to you by Airgrid, proud sponsors of the GAA Football Under-20 All-Ireland Championship. Not only is Airgrid delivering a cleaner energy future by future-proofing Ireland's electricity grid, they're invested in the performance of young GAA players that help them grow powering forward. And you're very welcome to the second episode of Coral Etmos in association with Airgrid. Delighted to have the great Jim McGuinness with me this week. We've been trying to, to nab Jim for a couple of years. I plagued you well this week, Jim. It's great to have you. How are you keeping? Great, Tomas. Great to be here. Um, I, was, I was looking at um, the way you went into inter-county management and you started at 20s, and I was looking at or the 21s at the time, I suppose, and I was looking at the 20s match last week, and Canavan destroyed Kerry um, with a brilliant performance, and the final is on this weekend. You have Kildare, yeah. you have Tyrone. Jim, is it a competition, obviously... When you were involved with the 21s in Donegal, it's an unbelievable competition in terms of the players that you have and the age that they're at. Do you think it's a struggle at the moment with the amount that they're playing? Um, do you know what, Tomas? I don't think it is because um, I think it's only a struggle if it's a struggle in your own head, if that makes sense. Um, you know, people talk a lot about burnout and, you know, players playing in too many teams and all that type of thing. But per- burnout doesn't really exist either, other than in your own head. And if you feel you're doing too much, you're probably doing too much. Um, and I think at that age, you know, kids are playing in all sorts of teams and all sorts of sports even. And uh, for me, I think there's nothing there's nothing healthier, to be honest with you. Um on on the under twenty ones it was when we were there uh, it was amazing it was it was the best time I ever had to be honest with you Tomas because uh, they're so they're, anywhere I go if I ever do a talk I always put up a picture of a red setter and I ask the audience why is the picture up there and people say the journey and the bus bus no it's not that at all it's because red setters haven't got an ounce of sense and uh, that was the under twenty ones. Uh, not announce the sense, but absolutely mad for information, mad for tactics, nutrition, S&C, everything you can imagine. They were so switched on to it and so hungry for it and great fun, great fun to be around, you know. So uh, I look at those games now and I see them off and on uh, on the TV and stuff and it really brings me back to that period where you've got a real good group of young fellas that just love it, just absolutely love it. It's... um. I, it was a competition that we loved playing as well. It was, it was, as you say, the colleges, I suppose, interlink with it, Jim. And I just feel you look at some of the college games now and you have the best footballers. I think the age profile of inter-county footballers have come down. I think players are way more developed. And you see mm-hmm. them. It's like a senior match. Whereas 15 years ago, like you played, I, I actually met... Um, Funny enough, I, I, I came across, I was at the Cork game the last day and I bumped into Jack Ferreter and I know he bumped into you as well. And That's right. He, it's not Jim McGuinness he calls you at all, he calls you Seamus McIngus. That's very true, yes, correct. There was one question that always used to fascinate me. There was, like, I, I, unbelievable in terms of what you've done as a man. There, isn't, there aren't too many people who have done as player and manager what you have done. But... As a player, and you went to, to college in Tralee, mm-hmm. and you travelled an awful amount. I don't know, was it every weekend, but it was close to every weekend, back up to Donegal to play with the club. And how, like, yeah. number one, how did you get down to Tralee? Why did you go to Tralee? Number two, was it every weekend you travelled? Did you find it hard? How long did you spend in Tralee? Was it, was it a, a time of your life that you enjoyed, had good crack? But the football oh, was key to the whole thing, uh, wasn't 
some of the best years of my life, absolutely some of the best years of my life. And I did, I travelled every weekend with a game and, and then travelled every weekend for, for, for county training as well. I remember travelling up one more one uh, one weekend for county training and I got there and uh, training was called off and nobody told us. And, uh, a long journey was it, Jim? That was a long journey home, I can assure you. But um, but uh, at that time it was a lot longer to Moss because um, because there was no bypasses. You know, when you once you get into March or April time, um, uh, saying and Clare Castle and all those towns where there was no bypass, you you know you could be stuck in traffic for an hour. So it would depend, like it would go from maybe six and a half hours to eight hours, depending on the traffic and the time of the year and stuff like that. You know. So, um, but I loved every minute of it. I absolutely loved every minute of it. I was, I was very, very fortunate. I, I hadn't got into Jordanstown, um, and when Tralee came calling, then um, it was, it was just a fantastic opportunity for myself, and um, and a great, great experience. Everything about it was just brilliant and friends for life. And you know yourself when you're winning as well. Like it's the cherry on the top. You know it really is the cherry on the top, and. We had phenomenal players, you know, um, that seven of your team that won the All-Ireland in 97. We were actually there, you know, a, a gang of us that were in college at the time. We were sitting on phone boxes um, uh, in the middle of Tralee watching the homecoming. It was it was absolutely brilliant, you know. So And then part of Joyce, Michael Donnan, who was on the team, won it the following year. And so we were very close to that as well in terms of um, their journey, you know. So every minute of it was was just absolutely brilliant. It was, geez, when you think of it, Jim, that team it was full of full of all stars. You had Mike Frank Russell, you had Jack Furter, who wouldn't have been as well known maybe as Donlin or well Mike Frank was at the time. Um Mike Frank was Donlin, you had yeah. Hendy at Barry, the back, I remember. You had Barry O'Shea inside Barry O'Shea. Parkinson was there, wasn't he? Parkinson was there the following year. Seamus Moynan uh, was there at centre back, Barry O'Shea was full back, Kenneth Lean was in the corner, uh, William Kirby was in the middle of the park. Uh, Paul, Paul Sullivan, corner forward, uh, Mike Frank in the other corner. I played full forward. One of the, I mean, Joycey played full forward and centre forward and swapped, swapped around the odd time, you know, Michael Donnan in the wing. So it was, it was, it was a great team. Yeah, it was a brilliant team. It was the, I, I always remember Val Andrews was the man in charge at the time. And, uh, the social life was good. James inside and truly in fairness, she did more in the town that time. <laughs> <laughs> the social life was very good. I um there was a there was a famous kind of a story we were playing Galway in the first round of the Sigerson and uh there was like a mock wedding for um <laughs> for for charity uh and in the haven the 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 student bar and and the town and uh I was the best man and a friend of mine was the father my father Pat who was a selector on the team was was saying the wedding and then uh, and then when it got to the vows he was leaving. Uh, it was in the middle of the day and there was probably about 500 people in the bar and uh, you can imagine that there was a few pints uh, flowing as well and uh, we were all there in the middle of it and um, Val walked in, had a look and walked out and then when we went, when we went, to, uh, when we went to Galway the following week, um, we were all dropped and I remember that so well because... Seamus was obviously, you know, in my mind, one of the best players that has ever played the game. Seamus Moynan, he was just, Unreal. he was just a phenomenal football player uh, and an absolute beast when people weren't that way. You know, he was just so strong. I mean, you were playing against him and training, my God. Um, and he was so committed as well. Like, I mean, Seamus was living over an hour away from Tralee and he was in, we were training, Tomas. Seven in the morning and seven in the evening, four nights on, three nights off, three nights on, four nights off. So no matter what happened in the three-day event, extra times, all that type of stuff, you know, we were hopefully going to be ready. Pat Flanagan, who trained you guys to the All-Ireland, was our trainer and all. So we were putting in uh, a massive shift. And so the training at seven in the morning, you know, you're there for quarter to seven. God knows what time Seamus was leaving the house at. And he never missed a session, you know, gym or pitch. Um, he never missed a session, so we were we were we were very close because of that. You know, there, there was great great fun in the camp, and and um, you know I love meeting them fellas uh, anytime now when I come across them. How did I mean, just as you were saying there, Jim? How did that work with Intercounty at the time? I know you were training with Donegal, and the boys were in with Kerry. How did Sigerson work like when you were training hard? Was there any over like I I, I can't seem to remember. It. I was in Mary I at the time. 
and they, they weren't really heavily involved in Sigerson. But was there yeah. any conflict? Nowadays, there is conflict between, not conflict, but there are mm. inter-county teams that pull rank in terms of getting players. Was there any kind of conflict that time, no? No, no, there wasn't. Um, there wasn't. Um, now, I do remember having won the Sigerson interly uh, and having a late night and, and going home and getting up in the morning and it was about maybe half 10 or 11 o'clock before I got out of bed and I was debating will I go up the town, will I not go up the town and I, I, walked, into that, I walked into that same pub and uh, it was like uh, the middle of a Saturday night at half 11 in the morning and uh, the same Seamus Moynan was up at the bar buying I think it was 28 creme de Monts uh, <laughs> at, at half 11 in the morning and uh, and and fellas playing cards and uh, it was it was it was brilliant, brilliant, brilliant fun. But um, but I remember um, I remember your uncle Paddy telling the boys, "You make sure you're attending the morning night," you know, and uh, and so I suppose at that stage the the party was over uh, and the conflict was kicking in at that stage. But um, but that's what it's all about, really, in many respects. You know, I, I'm a firm believer, like. If, if you go on a journey like you're on now with the Offaly lads and, and you go on that journey and you're starting that journey, you know, at the beginning of the year and it, and it runs for six months or eight months or whatever it is, nine months, um, you know, and you have any way, any bits of success along the way, I think it's wild important to celebrate them and wild important them to have that time together and enjoy those moments because, you know, yourself, Tomas, it, it's a blink of an eye, it's gone anyway, you know, and so, um, so yeah, definitely great, great memories for, from Thrilly. For some strange reason, Jim, I think the better teams and the successful teams that have the confidence have more of a balance when it comes to actually, they don't get stressed out if they have a night out. They know they have their plan in their head. They have focus. They know what they're doing. They realize the importance of downtime. Um, it's not about the drink. It's about being social together and having a bond together. And when you're going back into training three or four weeks later and the training is hard and you have a laugh and a joke about the the last session you had or whatever like but that was I remember that time in Tralee everybody everybody and I mean anybody who was a serious footballer wanted to go to college in Tralee it was it was a three Sigersons they won at the time Jim uh, yeah three yeah uh, 97 98 99 yeah Jesus it was phenomenal when you but, think but you're right you're right what, tomorrow's what, like, you what, know, because... what age were you Jim when you were there how long were you involved how long had you been involved I know you were involved in 92 with Donegal was 92 uh, your first year with Donegal 92 was my first year, yeah. Only one fella left the squad and, and I came in. and So I was very, very fortunate. Brian Toohey, the guy that played cornerback, was only gone for 10 years. So timing is very, timing's a mad thing as well, you know, in sport. Um, and so I was I was incredibly lucky to be involved in that. And then my own journey was one where I left school when I was 15, um, 15 going on 16. And I was never really... Uh, happy, you know, uh, uh, in terms of the work environment, I always wanted a life in sport. Um, and it's funny, I was actually reflecting the day on it, like, you know, in terms of the journey that I've gone on over the last, you know, 10 or 12 years that I've been living in a world of sport and professional sport. And, and it's, it's very far removed from reality in many respects. And, and for a sports person, it's probably, you know, it's the holy grail. It's, it's you know, it's, it's the best place you really can be because you're firewalled from from a lot of that stuff and your you know your job is to actually ab absorb yourself in the sport um and so i always had that thing going on in the back of my head and when i'd said it to my mother then like had having made the breakthrough with donegal and be part of donegal teams and all that type of stuff um you know it was a big decision at 23 i was to go back and do my leaving cert uh in the adult education center in Letterkenny. And I'd done two years there and done my leaving cert. And then from there, I went to Tralee and then and then moved from there, you know. Did you won another Sigerson then in, in Jordanstown, didn't you? But you, you did a Masters in Liverpool as well, Jim, after that, didn't you? That's right, yeah, yeah. I had a really good uh, lecture in Jordanstown, Mary Margaret Mead. And, um, and you know, because I was a, a mature student in inverted commas, um, uh, you know, we used to get into good conversation and I remember saying to me at the end of my final year, you know, you should think about the Masters and uh, it was something that was sort of not in my head, but also in my head in the context of, I knew that I wanted to manage uh, at inter-county level because I was player manager for my club maybe three or four times and so um, 
and I knew that that part was missing as well, Tomas. I knew that I didn't know enough about that, and I felt that if I did get a good grip on that, you know, the other parts weren't too bad, if that makes sense. Um, and so that's that sort of encouraged me to go and do it. So it was more on the football side of things than on the professional side of things. And then, it, you know, it, it, you know yourself when you're in something, then it, it, it takes a life of its own anyway, you know. But um, but that first decision to go back and do me leaving cert was probably the best decision I ever made in my life, you know, because um, I'm very passionate about education now and um, and and the power of it and how it can empower a person or, or people, you know. It's a fierce lesson for anybody like that. You can do it any time, but to come back at twenty three, Jim, was 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 huge for you, obviously. And I, I know it was a was it a master's in psychology? Did I was just thinking. Yes. It, you, I'd say even with the masters of psychology, it would be hard enough to figure out a few of the boys inside in the Raven. <laughs> <laughs> You'd want more than the masters in psychology to sort out those. Ones. No, but you know something. Um, see, when I qualified, there was a. Maybe the year after I qualified, there was a time where I was working with 23 teams um, around the country over the course of that calendar year. Uh, it might be only maybe two or three nights here or, you know, more more, more embedded and stuff. But you know what it taught me, Tomas? It taught me that, uh, well, it gave, me, it gave me the skill of when I went into a dressing room like or a meeting, you know, with fellas that... I was able to work out the room very quickly and work who was who in the room and who was the guys that were maybe very good players but are under-motivated, the highly motivated ones, the ones in the middle, you know what I mean? And um, and when you be, because you're just so used to that environment, and then you'd be talking to the coaches and you'd be saying, uh, me taking him will be this and me taking him with that, and they'd be like, how the hell can you read that? But it, it was just literally contact hours. And I think for, for anybody in the way up coaching as well, there's a brilliant lesson in that, and that is contact hours. Like, you know, it doesn't matter if it's your under-12s or the senior team or whatever it is. If you're out on the grass and you're working with people and you're coaching and you're developing people, you're getting better. And you mightn't even realise it yourself. You know, it's only when moments like that happen that you think, God, you know, something has moved me forward, if that makes sense. When did coaching... When when did coaching come into Jim? I know you managed, didn't you manage your, your club team to um, a county win, didn't you? When did I, coaching? Was, was, I know you said sport was always there. You wanted to be involved in sport, but when did actually managing or coaching, as it's called now, actually come and say, "Yeah, that's what I want to go at." Leo McLoon, Leo McLoon, the played for us centre forward. His dad, Leo McLoon Senior, would have been involved with teams always in Glenties. And my first coaching job was his assistant when I was sixteen. Jeez. Um, and he was uh, he was the manager, and I was his assistant manager, and I was the coach of the team, and that's when it started for me. Like you know, and and then I was involved with teams all the time. You know, probably to the detriment of my own football career at times as well, Tomas. You know, because you're you know you see we were in a situation where um you know Kelly Beggs were only over the road from us, Ardra, uh, Glen Colum Kill, Kilcar, Ballyshannon, they're all South Donegal. And they were all teams won in championships, and we were uh, we were a division two intermediate team, and that was stuck in the back of my throat. You know, that was so stuck in the back of my throat. Like, and um, I really wanted to do something about that more than anything else. And I think that's why you know I, I, was, I was that's where the passion came from. You know, um, and and we managed to get there. Like, it took us all of our careers. You know, um, I started playing. Um, probably 1988, you know, 88, 89, 16 years of age, you know, and then 1990, I was a county minor, and it took us to 2002 to win the All-County League Division 1. So that was a long time in the making. And then the following year, we won the county minors, and the following year after that, we won the county minors. So that was uh, three and four, and then we won the senior championship in five. And believe it or not, we won our first under-21 in 2006 and we won four in a row then under 21s but we won the senior before we won the under 21 because we had such a young team we had 11 under 21 players in the team that won the championship it's phenomenal the work that goes in jim all over the country like we every club has the story of the man that was managing and coaching and you mentioned leo McLoon senior there those fellas inside in clubs like it doesn't matter you look at fellas who travel and go involved in inter-county or whatever but the heartbeat of the whole lot is a club and the way a club, it's more than just coaching young fellas. It's, 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 
geez, it, it, it connects the whole community in a way that no other sport, I feel, does. Do you know, I know you're, you're huge into soccer, but it's the fact, I suppose, that there's so much GAA, like you rattled off the clubs in Donegal, and the fierce competitiveness there. But at the heart of it all, is fellas just going in and coaching young fellas and steering them the right way. And it's unreal to watch when you see it, isn't it? It's it's unbelievable, like you know, and and uh, I'm coaching my own fellas now in the Gaelic as well, like the under thirteens here in the local club and and in the soccer and everything else, you know, and see that see that interaction to us, like you know, you you're you're just transported, like you know, and even up and down the road with the two of them in the car, you know, it's 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 absolute gold dust, you know, and and you're right, there's so many volunteers in the organisation that it's just you know, you know, the amount of money that they spend, you know making it happen on a weekly basis and, and, and petrol and traveling. And they wouldn't even think about that in a million. It doesn't even come into the radar because they're not interested in that. They're only interested in this team and this under-13 team. This is the most important team in the world now. Do you know what I mean? And it's the same as when I had the under-21s. That was the most important team in the world. There's no other team in the world. That's the most important team. Your team is the most important team. And there's people up and down the country, uh, you know, in our sport and other sports and hurling and everything else. And that's just the way it is. And they just they just absolutely live for it, you know. And I think it's a, it's, it's a beautiful thing in many respects, you know. Would you be obsessed, Jim, to the point of it causes you issues maybe in other parts of your life? You know, that you're so obsessed with one part, maybe the Donegal when you were involved with it, Celtic when you were involved there, that it just consumed you so much that maybe it got a little bit unhealthy at times. I I, I wouldn't say unhealthy, like, but it, it definitely does consume you, you know. And funny, like, if I was speaking to young players now, that's what I would actually be saying to them. You know, it's all right to be obsessed about your sport. You know, because if you're not in that space, Tomas, you're going to be in another space anyway. And you're going to be spending your time somewhere else. And for me, you couldn't spend your time in a better place or space than in sport. And so, so, and then the other side of that coin is, is the people that are making it are the people that are obsessed. Do you know what I mean? The people that are on the pit and the pitch every night of the week and working on their weaker side and kicking scores and, you know, it's dark and they're still kicking scores. That, that, those are the people that, that fine tune, you know, um, their their skill set, you know, and um, and listen, if you want to be out there and that's what you want to do, do, you know, I would say go and do it, you know, because if if, if that's what you're getting your kick out of, um, I, I I'm all for that to be honest with you. Well, I I'd be kind of, I'm kind of gone into the coaching side of it and management. I like it. I I love being involved in teams. I like the camaraderie of it, I like the buzz of it, I like the actual, the most thing I enjoy actually is the the training part of it, the, the, the work you get and the feeling you get after doing a tough, hard session. When did you know, Jim, that you wanted to become, I know you were with the 21s in Donegal, was it always the ambition to go with the seniors? Was that always in your head, I want to manage Donegal? Uh, well, once I started playing with them, yeah. Yeah, once I started playing with them, it probably was Tomas I. It probably was, you know. And then I uh, I broke my leg in two thousand and four, like you know, and it was a it was a hyper extension of my knee, like so it kind of just it broke up the way type of thing. And I done I done everything, like I you know I broke it and I done my cruciates and my lateral collateral. I bust the caps in the back of my knee. So I was like, one day you're a footballer and the next day you're gone. Do you know what I mean? It's just like it's literally gone. And I remember just being shell-shocked at that, you know, and just, you know, that's it, like, it's over, you know, and I knew that I wasn't going to be able to climb the ladder again, you know, back to where I was. I was 32, and thankfully, you know, I had a good innings, I'd picked up injuries, but nothing to that level. So so I was very lucky that actually I had the, the groundwork done that I had done, um, and it was actually in that moment that the club came. It was the championship, you know, it, it was April time, um, maybe a bit later, Um and uh, we were three or four weeks out from the second round of the championship on a group stage when they when they asked me to, to help them out, you know. So, but I would have went there anyway because I had done it previously, but that kind of catapulted it, you know, and it filled a void for me as well. You know, it filled a vacuum. I was, like, I, we were all, was the same, Jim. Like, we came in an era where we trained hard and then 
you had your few days after the matches and all that, but the one thing, and possibly wrongly aimed at Donegal at the time, plenty of talent, but when it came down to it, they wouldn't cross over the line. And they wouldn't. Like, there was always a story that they used to carry the two bags to the matches, one for the game and one. Oh, that's, that's sure that was true for us all. I'd have, I'd be cute enough, Jim. I'd put my second bag into my, I'd have a big bag and I'd put the <laughs> bag into the And I wouldn't be seen for two or three days. So everybody was doing it. With the fact that it took to Donegal, I don't know why. But when you went in, how long, uh, did, did, was it a case of, I have to change, I know that I'm going to have to change, or were you inside in the job for a while before you said, I'm going to change here? How did you actually turn it around? How long did it take you to turn around to get these fellas to buy into what you wanted? Yeah, no, listen, I was thinking about it for years, and everything that I was thinking about was based on my own career with Donegal, you know? And at that time, Armagh had come through Ulster and Tyrone had come through. And Tyrone were the kings of Ulster by the time I, I, I got the job. At that stage, Armagh had, had, had had their period. Um, so I was always sort of in my own mind. I was always, you know, physically, you know, no. You know, we're 50% there, 85 90%. You know, technically, we're, we're not, there's always good players in Donegal. So we were, able, we were able to match them in that regard. You know, tactically, no. Not, not, not close on, on that level, you know. And then mentally, but sure, it's very hard to be mentally tough, Tomas, when you know that you haven't got it in the legs and you haven't got the game plan and you haven't got the body to back it up. Fifty minutes in after getting smashed and bruised and smashed and bruised, you know. So you know, I had a very, very clear vision that I was working on for years. Like what I did, to be honest with you, Tomas, was I had, I had a book. A couple of books at that stage because every manager that I worked under, I kept a book and every exercise that we did, I went home and I wrote the exercise into the book and what it was and whether it's passing or possession or kickouts or whatever it was. And I just kept sort of filling up books, if that makes sense. And as I was doing that, I was also looking at what was going on in the country and, and the styles of play in the country. Mick, Mick O'Dwyer, for example, a really, really strong running game. They talk about running games now like it's a new thing. He, he that that was his philosophy, you know, a hundred percent. So, um, you know, John O'Mahony, a mixture of that with the kicking, and you know, so there was all those managers, Sean Boylan, that were, you know, and and then the Ulster ones, you know, obviously my own Brian McAniff and and um and 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 then County Down and Derry and all these places that were won in all Ireland, you know. So you're looking at that all and in the bigger context of things, and then you're saying, well, how does that apply to me? You know, how would I go about that? And also in the context of where where these lads are at and the journey that they need to go on. And so I felt that there was big percentages there that could be won, you know, over the period of like a year or two years, you know. And that's why when I asked for the job or applied for the job um, that I asked for four years because um, I felt it might take that period of time to get to get all those levels up, if that makes sense. I was just going to ask you, how long does it take to change, and you, you spoke about the physicality and the, the mental toughness and the attitude, I suppose. What If I asked you, Jim, what does culture, what does culture, and it's a buzzword now in terms of everybody's culture. Culture was always there, except we didn't have a word for it. Uh, yeah. What does culture mean to you, and how do you get it into players? I know you could think one way, and you could want it a certain way, but how would you get the boys, in practical terms, change the culture of how they actually have been because it is a tough thing to to do is to get to develop, players thinking yeah. along the same lines if they are stuck in a rut or if they are thinking and behaving a certain way for years and years yeah well i'm going to answer your other question first quickly because i think it's very very linked to this question uh you asked me about buy-in and when did you get the buy-in i got the buy-in on the very first day that we met the players the very first day um, and it was it was it was over the road here, only five or six miles over the road, uh, in Port Salon, and we had the golf course, the golf clubhouse to ourselves that day, and um, we we brought them in and we inter introduced everybody in the backroom team that was me working, and they they had a very good idea at that stage then that it was going to be a professional setup as professional as we could make it, um, and then crucially then. Uh, there was a there was an article in the paper called the state of the nation and 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 uh, we were 19th ranked in the country 
And, and it would have been easy then to go, this is a disgrace and this is this and this and that. But I, I tried to flip that and say, listen, lads, I want your opinion as to why we're 19th. And it was like a 15-minute exercise, which ended up being a bit of 45-minute exercise. And when I went down through them and I was saying, you know, you know, you want to need a bit of time, need a bit of time, you could sense that there was a cleansing process happening. And you could sense that a lot of the things that you spoke about there in the party, the party scene and all those types of things, not doing the gym work, cutting corners, all that type of stuff, all of them things were addressed, you know, and brought out into the open. And the fellas, the boys in the room did that themselves. Um, and we addressed every one of them then individually. And then we broke for lunch. And then when we came back for lunch, we set them another target. And the second target was, how do we get to number one? I want to win the All-Ireland. I know you want to win the All-Ireland and the people of Donegal are waiting to win an All-Ireland. How do we get to number one? So we had moved. We basically, it was like a frigging rugsack of weights that they were carrying around in their back. And I just felt it was so important to, to just snip the cords there and drop that weight and, and let it go. Like whatever happened, happened. You know, the past is the past. And we're going to now start planning to try and win the All-Ireland. And and I knew when the fellas were going out the door that day, there was a there was a step with them. There was an energy. There was a focus, um, and it left us in a position that you know we have something to build from here. You know, so so in terms of culture, that probably was the first step in in, in shaping that culture. You know, and then and then at the very end of it, then. I, I read out an, a document um, which my wife had uh, uh, produced for me because she was a solicitor at the time. And it was basically a legal document to say that anything that was going to happen in our environment was going to stay in our environment because um, we were all trying to get the same thing. We were all trying to win the All-Ireland. And nobody within the group then could let the group down in terms of the process of doing that. So if we were going to be loose with our mouths or flippant or be offside in terms of discipline, all these things, that could threaten all of our um, dreams, dreams in many respects, you know. And so I read it all out to them, you know, in terms of, you know, training and not talking about training and not talking about tactics and not talking about this and all that. And, and then I, I said, I'm signing this. You don't have to sign it, but I'm going to sign it. And anybody that does want to sign it, it's going to be up on the table up here. And as soon as I had said that, Michael Murphy jumped up out of the seat and went over and signed it, and then there was like a procession after that, and that was again the start of our confidentiality and within the culture. And you know, it's, it's mad, like because um, when we were lucky enough, we won an Ulster Championships, like, and it's an amazing, amazing day. Like they never thought they could do it. I think that was the number one objective for them was to, to win the Ulster Championship. And I'm saying, right, we we want to win the All Ireland, but I know we need to do this first. But you'd be meeting parents, you know, after the game and you might be getting a photograph or you'd be talking. Sometimes you wouldn't know the parents because you would never have seen them, like, you yeah. know. But when you'd be talking to the dads in particular, like, sometimes the mums um, and and the player wouldn't be there, the, almost the first thing out of the mouth would be, they tell us nothing. He tells us nothing, you know. <laughs> and I used to laugh at it, like, and I used to think, that's brilliant. That's brilliant, you know, because if they're not telling you, then you're not telling uh, Johnny down the street, you know, and we're keeping we're keeping our powder dry, keeping our head down, staying focused and training, and then just just giving it everything we have in the games, you know. Thanks again to our sponsor, Airgrid, proud supporters of the GAA Football Under Twenty All Ireland Championship, and key drivers in Ireland's pursuit of a cleaner energy future. Hashtag powering forward. It's true that um, I remember. Even the dubs, nothing would come out. You'd hear rumours, and we had the same. We, all, we were fighting with Jack Connell. We were never more united as a group, yet all these stories would come. As strong teams, Jim, nothing really leaves. The, the, no matter what anybody says the outside. Can I ask you a question? Because you mentioned it a while ago. Right, you have 40 men in a squad, or you have 30 men in a squad, or whatever. And I read during the summer... And I'm only thinking about these things now, because I was never on that side of the fence... But you have uh, 30 men in the squad, and O'Gara wrote an article, actually, it was very interesting in terms of you have 10 guys who, if you ask to run through that window, they'd run through the window. You have another 10 who are in the middle and who hopefully will get swayed by the first 10. But then you have a 10 at the end who, <laughs> for the management, will kind of, not on out front, but will cause trouble, and not trouble as such, but 
have an issue, how would you deal or how did you deal with the 10 that are struggling? It's a hard sell, Jim, to have a fella. I, I don't believe the 26 being carried to a match, for example. You have number 28, 29, bursting their balls, looking night in, night out for you, keeping the group honest, doing every single thing, and then they're not even allowed to get on the bus with the team going to a match or whatever team you're with. How do you uh, well, keep I, those I, 10 fellas? I, I, I didn't believe in that anyway. Is it, can you keep we we, we see on the we had thirty three players tomorrow. We took them everywhere and we picked up the fines. And I told the county board, I'm not leaving anybody behind. They're going to be at every game. They're going to be at every meal. They're going to be in every stadium. We talked to thirty three of them out in All Ireland final day. You can you can find us what you want, you know, because we weren't going to make that difference in any of the players. And on a given day, somebody could be in, somebody could be out anyway. So there is no difference in them, you know. To be fair, um, and and that. That sort of scenario that you painted out, I think that is a true scenario. I call that the one-third rule, you know, the, the one-third that the self-sustaining, highly motivated, there's no issue with them, the middle group and then the bottom group. And for me, the most important group is the middle group because if you get the middle group really bought in and moving and they move towards the top group, all of a sudden you have 66% in the top group. And then the bottom group will always kind of follow in a way. They will follow the leader um, so I think that's really, really important. And then obviously working on the weaknesses of players as well and being honest as well with players and saying, listen, you know, Tomas is in and you're not in. And these are the reasons why you're not in. He can do this and this and this and this and this. You can do this, this and this. But see if you can do them two other things. You're going to push him and you are going to push him. And see if you do push him and you start making them strides, I'm going to play you. You're going to start sharing game time. So you have to be true to your word in that regard as well. And so, you know, even though you're 16 or 21 or 24 or 27 or 30 or 33 or whatever it is, if that pathway exists and you're prepared to go the full road on the training, then that, that journey can be had. That journey can be had. And also, you know, that there's no God-given right for Tomas or anybody else to have that jersey, you know. And, you know, managers can't have favourites. You just have the best players with the best skill set for that particular game. And then it's about developing those other lads and and brutal honesty sometimes. Absolute brutal honesty in terms of where they're at. And you're not quick enough. That's the bottom line. He's got the pace and you don't have the pace. But if you want to get faster, there's the man that's going to help you there. But I'm not going to drive that process. You're going to drive that process. There's an SNC coach there. He'll spend every day. Like we had, we had fellas in the gym. You know, Rory Cameron was in the gym 12 times a week you know, to get him where we wanted to get him, you know, and, and call him Anthony and these boys up at half five in the morning and gym sessions and after school. Unbelievable what, what they did to try and find those levels, you know. And then it becomes, as you were speaking about, it becomes cultural. It becomes, you know, you know, the bottom line, Tomas, for me is my number one thing is honesty and purity. And people don't really want to work hard. They kind of don't really want to work hard. But also, I firmly believe that people want to be pushed and stretched to their absolute limit. And so for me, I think it's only, it's, it's almost, it's almost on me to make sure that I deliver that for them. And when they're standing in that shower, that they know that they could not have done any more and that you're finding that separation from the rest of the groups, you know. And we were lucky that we hit the ground running on that and we just kept building it and building it. And it, there's, you know, it's a, it's a never-ending story in many respects because the ceiling keeps getting higher, but that's okay, you know. And, um, you, know, um, you know, a lot of chat goes on now about load and all this type of thing, you know, but, but load, uh, you know, load is very much related to robustness. And once you start to build robustness in players, um, you know, another level exists and when that level exists and you've identified that it's there for let's say a month then you can go again and that's what we always try to do you know and so the 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 overarching thing there is honesty and purity like we're going to be here four nights a week anyway do you know what i mean so if we're going to be here for four nights a week so why would we go with 70 percent you know it doesn't it doesn't make any sense you know when you think about it because the commitment level is the same for your family or your partner or yourself so why not just bottom out 
and 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 do everything you can to be successful. And that's that's the approach that I I took with with the lads, and and they bought into that a hundred percent. And it became a beautiful thing, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart because you ended up not pushing them and not driving them. They wanted to be there. They wanted to be there because they were getting that. It was almost like they're waiting all their life for it. You know, some of our boys were 26, 27, 28, and they'd never really experienced that intensity and honesty and just bottoming out. And so it was like a light bulb kind of a type of a situation, and they just they just went for it. You know, it, it was it was brilliant, and I, that that's still very close to my heart. All of that stuff. How did how did leadership amongst the players manifest itself, Jim? How did they, like you mentioned, Murphy there being the first out, and geez, probably outside of Kerry. Probably and a couple of dubs there that have gone the, the 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 I suppose the stretch when they had that successful stretch like McCarthy Murphy has been absolutely from like I compare him to Brian O'Driscoll and Seamus Moynihan possibly in terms of he starts at seventeen or sixteen whenever he started and the consistency throughout his career how was that leadership in the dressing room before you landed. And I know you brought your part to it, but how did the leadership manifest itself in practical terms from the players? Uh, well, Michael was a big part of that. I suppose we were fortunate as well. We we had previous captains. Neil Gallagher was a previous captain. Rory Cavanagh was a previous captain. Christy Toy was a previous captain. Um, so, you know, and, and, and if you think about that as well in the context of Michael, like Michael was under 21 that year when he was made captain, you know, um, that was very big of them, you know, to move over in the bed and say, this kid is the future of Donegal and this kid is special um, and he's going to be our leader type of thing, you know, and I knew from the 21s that he was going to be able to carry that. But nevertheless, you know, when you're 29, you know yourself and, and you're in the peak of your powers or 28, you know, uh, and you're a previous captain, you're looking to fill a 21, uh, but nobody blinked. Uh, nobody blinked, and and then sort of Carl Lacey then behind Michael quietly in the background. Um, you know, was was doing great work. Paul Durkin and then all all them other players. You know, Colum, Rory Cavanagh, Big Neil. You know, all them Neil McGee, all them players. Um, were were very very important, and we took their counsel. You know, we took their counsel on things as well, and and um and and that was really really important. But I would have spent hours on the phone with Michael every week. Hours. Yeah. It's it's surely and I'm only thinking then in the middle of it there, surely I suppose nobody asked you a question about the two bags bringing to big matches. Sure, maybe the McGee's did no, maybe uh, I'm not too sure, but was there that balance there, Jim? Were you able to enjoy yourselves after a championship game? We'd have our night out, we'd freaking party like we train for so long was there a good balance there there was a brilliant balance there yeah and we also always tried to incorporate the partners on the night of a championship match that if we were going back to Donegal that we would have a meal and there would be a private room in the hotel and you know particularly nights we, we would be successful and the whole of Donegal would be outside the room and we'd be inside the room and the partners would be there and we would you know till one o'clock in the morning we were there and then after that you know the floodgates was open they can go and do whatever they want but we all also also made sure that we always had that time together, you know, um, w w which was really important, you know. You um, weren't like party going around Kerry looking for fellas on a Tuesday or a Wednesday, were you? Um, well, after Ulster Championships and that type of thing, you might be with them on the Monday, you know. Um, that, that, that was the way it was. But we were always training on the Tuesday. We were always back training on the Tuesday, you know, because um, I felt it was really important to say we've had our time and we've enjoyed ourselves, but also equally, there's another championship here and we're going for it. And, you know, that you can't celebrate for a week after another championship and expect to be, you know, a high-level athlete, you know. So, but we did, we, we, had great, we had great times, you know, great crack in the bus, like the bus. That's what I miss most, you know, uh, after, you know, I ended up having to retire was, I missed the dressing room and I missed the banter, you know. I just missed that so much. And I got so much of that back when I was with the boys, you know. And you'd have the two McGees, one at the front of the bus and one at the back of the bus. And um, them trying to get at each other and who's the hardest McGee. And Neil would be shouting down, who's the hardest McGee. And Neil would be shouting up. I've seen bigger men and wedding cakes. And, um, 
that's the kind of crack that was that was going all the time, you know. But it was it was brilliant. It was it was absolutely brilliant. And the reason for Tomas going back to my other previous point, the reason it was brilliant was we knew we were being honest and pure on the training field, night after night after night. They earned that. Do you know what I mean? No matter how many nights they spent away after a fight, you know what I mean. They bloody earned that. They earned that moment, you know, um, because you know they done everything right. Um, prior to that, you know, how Jim and I, I always, I, I, for what you achieved and how you did it, and a lot of people, and you, you'd, you'd uh, know this yourself. A lot of people would say they didn't like the style of football in terms of the defensive stuff, and then maybe people would say, "Oh, McGuinness is after ruining the game in terms of other teams trying to copy it." But I've always said, and always, the speed at which he counterattacked, the players which he had, the McFadden's and the Murphy's, who he had on the far side of the pitch, I think, did it bother you that people just saw the bodies at the back but didn't see how he moved it up the pitch, the kick passing, the skills that were involved, the, the, the actual, maybe that they didn't give you enough credit for the way he actually scored in games and how that you were just seen as a, as a defensive team and not more. Did that bother you or did that rankle with you at all? No, 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 it didn't, it didn't bother me to us because we were like, we were on a mission and our mission was to win the All-Ireland, you know, and the reason we went very defensive in year one was because, and the four or five previous Ulster finals to that, we were hemorrhaging. We, when expectation was up, we imploded. And we, we were on the receiving end of incredibly big results. So I made the decision early doors, I'm going to protect these fellas and we're going to get traction and we're going to be hard to beat. And the softness and the lovely lads and the lovely footballers and a lovely place to go on holidays, Donegal, had to go out the window and we had to become competitive, you know. Um, and so that was the building block. And then the next phase of that was, for me, the transitional game. But even on Sunday night there, you know, um, 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 Sean Cavanagh was, was blaming me for the possession-based style of football that's going on at the moment, you know, and he says it goes back to the Jim McGuinness era, but like I don't recognise that at all because because uh, my point would be in line with your own point there, but we didn't try to play possession football at all, we tried to win the ball and as quickly as we could get up the park was the moment that they were disorganised and we were working towards under nine seconds in training all the time and transitional moments and we had skill drills to get from the 21 our own 21 to the other 21 in nine seconds and and get the score at the end of it and then we started looking at how we well, how, how then not only do we want to run it but we also want to run it to a point and then deliver quality ball inside and trying to create the timing of that michael and pat michael and call him close to goal and patrick at the top of the d and then they would know when we had a certain period of area of the field that that's when the boys were going to lift their heads the running game flipped for a second and then can we send it we can safe side Patrick would spin get the runner off that so it was always about um, vertical football if you like it was always direct and getting ahead of the ball and very intensive transitional football and the the the, the possession based stuff I hated it like I didn't want to be in that phase at all ever but we sometimes we had to be in it because other teams were setting up that way as well but you know, the bottom line is people, people, you, you, you experienced playing against us probably at our peak as well, Tomas, like, mm. and so you have that inside track on it, whereas most people that see it, um, A, don't have it, and B, the sound bites that are in the media will just be repeated a million times a day. That, that's the way it is. And, and you can't control that, and I'm not going to control that, and I'll be honest with you, I don't. I don't give a shit about it. Yeah. Um, if you look uh, the way Derry game. play, Jim, at the moment, right? Derry play, and we came across them, It's they're physically developed, they're seriously fit, their skill levels, they have actually quite good footballers, and you could actually see a team like that rattle the likes of Kerry, rattle the likes of Dublin on a day, and it, you'd say they might play each other five times, but maybe, you know, on that right. given day, they'd give themselves an absolute chance. But you still, I always say, Jesus Christ, if you look at that Derry team and you break it down, very like your own team. And I'm not saying, like, I'm just using Derry as an example. The skill levels are 
fierce high. You had to place serious emphasis, Jim, on the skills, the basic skills. Did you think they were they were at a level that were good enough when you landed in, or was that something you constantly worked on? Yeah, no. My training revolved around intensity. We didn't have we didn't have a you know we didn't have a whole host of exercises either. Tomas, you know, we had a small cache of exercises that we were expecting the boys to execute at maximal levels. And again, that was linked to where we were coming from and the psychology involved in that and protecting them in the sense that I wanted to create a feedback loop in their heads that we're really good at this, we're very good at this, we're brilliant at this. Is there a team in the country better at this? And that could be borne out even in a hand pass. You know what I mean? Or a dink ball or a tackling. But every single exercise was geared towards them getting that feedback loop of brilliant, 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 brilliant. All right, next time and recovering after mistakes and back into it again, you know. And so there was a simplicity, but the intensity had to be the highest level that they could deliver. And if it wasn't there, training was stopped. And I think that's probably the most important thing because sometimes with coaches, I think coaches are afraid to stop and just go, this is not our level, you know? And I think sometimes with coaches, they will not step in in that moment and do that, but say nothing and then go into the coach's room after training and having a moan about it. Do you know what I mean? And say, oh, he was off or his attitude was this and his attitude, you get what I'm saying to us? And I think for me, it's the opposite of that. If you're working towards a really high level and that level's not there, stop the training. Just stop the training, bring them in. Why are we not at the level? And once you have that start having those conversations, you know, so we were in and out all the time and um, and just trying to find that level and back out, find the level, back out, find the level, you know, and I'd be a big, 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 you know, once you get to the business end of the season then and you're starting to play games, I'd be a big believer in like seven, seven to 10 minute games, you know, 50 or 70 press-ups to the losers. That sharpens the mind. You know, you don't want to lose. You know, and you know, you could be in a team that maybe plays five or six damn games and you lose every one of the games and you're three or four hundred press ups down, you know what I mean? And that that you know, that type of thing will generate will generate far more drive and passion than saying, Come on, lads, you know, because they they know we've got seven minutes to win this and if we don't work harder than them, they're gonna want it and we're doing the press ups. And I used to get the team that won the pre- the won the game to count the press ups. <laughs> They would stand over them and they would count the press-ups. And uh, those types of things, I think, do far more. And they'd be slagging them and they'd be laughing at them. And the boys would be doing them and they'd be looking up. You know, Ryan Bradley, for example, was always on the wind-up, you know. <laughs> and and uh, that type of stuff brought, you know, brought wild camaraderie into the camp, you know, uh, in a mad kind of way. Because fellas are only truly happy when they know they're really, really working hard, in my opinion. Will you manage... Do you see yourself managing intra-county again, Jim? I, like, I wouldn't rule it out. Um, I, I'm go- I've gone on a journey, and I'm on that journey, and um, and probably people are saying now that I'm, I'm stagnating. I'm not, on, I'm not on any journey at the minute. But I do be in with teams here and there under the radar, and I really enjoy that, you know, uh, part of it. But um, the, the soccer side of things, so much has gone into Moss, you know, and it's taken me so long to get to the level that I'm at now, you know, like you're starting in the bottom rung of the ladder, you know, you really, really are. And, and you can take nothing for granted. Like everything that me and you would have took for granted about, you know, how you pick the ball up and hand pass the ball. All then we intricate things, you know, that let's say me and you's watching a game now and for Sky and RT and we're in the box and, and something happens. The two of us will right away look at each other, you know, that's things that we take for granted. Whereas for me, I had to go to the very, very, very bottom of the ladder to learn every single level. And then in the process of doing that, trying to make sense of the game. And in the process of doing that, trying to build your own game model. So a lot has gone in. And I would love now just to get the opportunity to really get my teeth into to, to a team again. You know, But that doesn't mean that you know I won't end up you know working with a county team again. It's probably more likely that it's my own children, to be honest with you. Um, uh, uh, you know that's more likely than anything else. You know, and 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 going to, going on a journey with them, but but you know you do that sort of that that cyclical you know pattern to your life that you're so used to as a player. You know, the next best thing is managing, and and then 
sometimes it can be better because you know you have a direct line to their physical their technical their tactical their psychological and the game plan do you know what i mean and when it comes off then there's a lot of pressure on you in one end but on the other end the you know what you get out of it you know is absolutely huge you know i remember meeting you down in photo when you were doing your when you were doing your badges that time that's right and you were at celtic at the time and you were saying I never took you up and it you off. You, you invited me over to get any time that I was over for a match outside of, and you've been inside in Crow Park on full houses, Celtic Park, Jim. I'd say on the big nights, absolutely amazing. Nothing beats it, Tomas. You know, and I was very fortunate, like because you know my possession, and everything could get tickets for the games and all, and. Mark Anthony and Jimmy would be going to me, you know, when he, Mark Anthony now, you know, this is five years on, like, and even now, like, you know, it doesn't matter what game's on the telly, he'll look at me and say, nothing beats Celtic Rangers. <laughs> 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 nothing beats that, you know, and, and uh, you know, when you're there, uh, and then the big European nights as well is, is, is absolutely huge, but there's a rawness to the atmosphere, you know, um, it's just, it's just incredible, like, you know, and uh, particularly on their lights, um, it can be just, you know, it, it can be sensational. So, so very fortunate to, to experience that, you know, and to be in the dressing room then, you know, uh, at a period with the, with the first team and then coaching the younger lads and all, all, all brilliant, brilliant experiences, you know, and I think, um, you know, all of those things kind of shape you then for, for, you know, when, when your own opportunity would come. You spoke about rivalries and all that, and I'm gonna, jeez, uh, I talk all night, Jim, but I'm gonna wrap it up soon enough. The rivalries up north, and you had it, you said it there that Tyrone had were were dominant when you were coming that time, and yeah. it's it was mentioned on television the last day that Donegal are are going into their is a tenth Ulster final in twelve years, which is phenomenal, oh. and that's it started off with you coming through at that time. But yeah. what is it about? You know, I can I can never like a, a team in the north can be going petering along in the league, and the next thing championship comes in, and they just have this local rivalry thing above there where it doesn't matter what they were doing in the league, they have a kind of a, a hoodoo over a, a neighbouring county. There's so many rivals above there, but Tyrone and yourselves was fierce for those few years. I know there was a respect there. But geez, there was some edge. Like at least coming up to that, you didn't have to bang the tables. I presume that was just built up between the matches you played. Like, yeah, no. Listen, we were the poor relation in relation to Tyrone, you know, and that was the bottom line on it. And they had huge success, you know, three All Irelands and five. Uh, Ulster Championships before we won it in, in 11, you know, that's what you were kind of going in, that's what you were facing, like, you were facing a machine, you know, and we knew that if we were going to make any inroads at all against Tyrone, that we were going to have to win the battle first, you know, and I think the general consensus in 11 was we caught them on the hop, you know, um and Dermot Brick Malloy scored a goal later on and that was the one column scored a goal, Dermot scored a goal and that that it was over the line. And it was like a it was like um it was like shock sh shock to the system for them, you know. Like we were we were well down in that game uh, at one stage in the first half and I remember hearing the crowd up on the hill shouting, Easy, easy, easy <laughs> and I was thinking, Oh Jesus Christ, I don't wanna be I don't wanna be I don't wanna be in the receiving end of a fifteen point defeat here, you know. I'd be packing the bag and going home but um, but the second year for me was the most enjoyable one, to be honest with you, um, because they were gunning for us in 12. They were absolutely gunning for us in 12. And they were a very strong team uh, themselves in their own right still at that stage. And we were gunning for them. And almost in the very first session of the year, I was saying to the boys, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And I was kind of half obsessed with Mickey Hart at the stage. You know, there wasn't a day that I didn't think about Mickey Hart because I knew that he was thinking about me. You know, you'd, you'd shake Mickey's hand after the game and he would give you that stare that Brian Cody gave Henry Shefflin. And he'd be like, how dare you beat me? Um, and so, you know, 
and he's a great football man and he's done brilliant work since he's gone to, gone to to Loud again, you know. So um so he kept me incredibly sharp, um, Tomas. Incredibly sharp, uh, as in on my toes and um and I knew they were coming and they knew we were coming and that's what made that that the twelve game, which was a brilliant, intensive, skillful game. Um that 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 made that one so special for me. That is the Jeez, Jim, I, I'm going to, I, I've done this thing at the end of the podcast where, where I ask silly little questions. Just give me, give me what <laughs> hops into your gut, right? If I said right. you straight away, you know, Brian Fenton or Jacko? Oh, jeez, that's a hard one now. Because I'm going to go with Jacko because he was my favourite player growing up. Seamus Moynihan or McGinney? Seamus Moynihan. Gooch or Michael Murphy? Ah, come on. <laughs> I'm gonna go. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go with Michael. Canavan or Morris Fitz? Oh jeez. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I can't answer that. I love. I love both of them. I loved everything about both of them. Uh, and coming, who would in just in one word who would win the All Ireland? Do you know what? I think Dublin. I, I think Dublin. I think Kerry against Cork. I seen Kerry against Cork, and I just thought there was a defensive structure put down. You know, Cork had their homework done. The, the sweeper in front of Clifford, the other sweeper, Nile, uh, Ian Maguire dropping in the central position. They were stopping the, the attacks there in the middle. They were doubling up on him. Um, you know, they turned the ball over, and when they did turn it, they took it into contact, which left them down. But if they hadn't, you know, um, and then the kick out really, really, really went against them. And was, I just thought there was a couple of things defensively. You know, Cork were able to get at them, number one. The double-up situation on David Clifford, and I think that's only going to, you know, increase as the championship goes on because he's such a high-profile player now. And then the kick-out, and the kick-out wasn't tested. So I think there's a couple of small question marks around Kerry, whereas I've seen Dublin against Wexford, and just it looked like Dublin two or three years ago. Like, all the pieces were running really, really, really smoothly, you know. Uh, and a couple of new bits as well. They had the three boys inside, Con and Dean Rock and 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 um Cormac Coslow. And they played them on the on the small parallelogram, on the line of that, and pulled everybody else outside the forty five, kept the ball moving, waiting for the moment, and then whenever they got them sucked out a wee bit, they shot left, shot right and centre, the balls popped in and the and the, the runner off it and also they're working on stuff and they're also bringing all the other bits and pieces that they had previously, you know. So and they seem to be very humbled by relegation. And I think that there's, as you know very well, Tomas, there's nothing to beat the fire in the belly, you know. Mm. And I don't think Kerry are coming from that point. Kerry are coming at this championship with the weight of expectation. We must get over the line, you know. But that's a different thing to being humbled and, you know, uh, and, 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 and the fire that that creates, you know. So... So I think there's very little between the two teams, but me, me gut, and it's nothing more than that, me gut is telling me that maybe Dublin could 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 do something, you know. Yeah, it is interesting. Everybody's saying that the Dubs, you know, that they've lost so many players, and they have lost so many players that are probably irre irreplaceable in a lot of ways. But Jesus, there's don't be telling me that they're gone. You know, they're good enough and they have enough toughness in them. Um, well, Tomas, they've got the best midfielder in the country, maybe the best midfielder that has ever played, like, you know, potentially. Like, you know, they've Kieran Kilkenny, the best 11 in the country, and Con O'Callan came back the last day. And between Con O'Callan, Michael Murphy, and David Clifford, for me, that's the top three inside forwards in the country at the minute, you know. So, you know, that's the spine of the team before you start looking at, you know, the smalls of this world and, and McCarthy and, and all those other lads behind that, you know. So, you know, that's... That, that's that that would take, you know, I try to break that down in many respects to kind of like, if it was a club team, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're the best midfielder in the county and you're the best centre forward in the county and one of the best top three full forwards in the county. Like, you know, you'd expect to win the championship. Do you know what I mean? And so, you know, you can make the other bits work a lot, but you need them key, key players. And, uh, you know, Dublin, definitely. Not that Kerry don't, you know, but but know. um, it, it's fine margins. Jim, uh, before I leave, I am um, thanks again to Airgrid, and I wish Kildare and Tyrone all the best for the for the twenty final at the weekend. Um, I, I suppose 
Tyrone are, are obviously favourites, but after Offaly winning it last year, it is great to see the likes of Sligo. It's great to see the likes of, of Offaly banging on doors and knocking down the teams that are expected to win. So I wish both teams the very best of luck. I'm not sure who's going to win it, uh, but whoever does win it will will deserve it. Um, Jim, Gurumila Mahagutbai, I really appreciate taking your time to, to come in to us. And um, thanks a million. I, I, I've no doubt I'll be on the phone to down the road again. For more, um, Jack Ferreter said to mention, he says, Jim had it. He says, the best thing that Jim had, he says, one of the most enjoyable days that I ever had was heading back west in the white Toyota Celica. He says, we had a great crack. There was four or five inside the car. That, 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 that's a story that's worth telling now, but it would probably take another half an hour to tell it, but that, that's a very good story, that one. Jim, thanks. Thanks again to our sponsor, Airgrid. Proud supporters of the GAA Football Under-20 All-Ireland Championship and key drivers in Ireland's pursuit of a cleaner energy future. Hashtag powering forward.